So as we begin the message, I just encourage you, if you have your sermon notes card, you can get that out on the one side. Actually, it'll be a little brief outline about where we're headed today and the text that I'm using. And we're going to be in the gospel of Ruth, or the, the gospel, we call it that, right? And so we're in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. It's right after Joshua and um, right before Samuel. And so you find that in the Old Testament. And we're going to be looking at, really, we're going to be in all four chapters of gospel of Ruth. So you bring a snack, sit back, relax, we'll be here a while. So... Um, Maybe not so long. But anyway, uh, who here loves going to the movies? Anybody? Anybody seen Pirates? Awesome, right? It was awesome. So, saw it Friday, no spoiler alert, but it was awesome. You know, but one of my favorite all-time movies is this movie. You guys recognize it? The Sandlot, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's like my favorite, one of my favorite all-time movies. You know, it's about this new kid that moves into the neighborhood. His name is Smalls. He's the one in the red sleeves up there. And, you know, he moves in. He knows nothing about baseball. And all these guys bring him into their group. And they're playing baseball all the time. And it's great, you know. And we love the movie in our house. In fact, when you do something that's sort of like dim-witted, you know, it's like, you're killing me, Smalls. You know, it's like, you're just killing me. And so it's just, it's a big part in our family. And we laugh about it. And we love the movie. But For me, it's more than that, because me, I think it's my story. You know, when I was 10, my mom remarried, and we lived in St. Louis, and then we moved to Washington, Missouri, which was a rural town west of St. Louis, and I knew no one. I was 10 years old, and I I knew about baseball. I didn't really play it, and this group of guys in my neighborhood played baseball all the time and invited me to play with them, and I learned how to play the game, and we played all kinds of games of baseball. We played hot box. We played Indian ball. We played wall ball. We played fuzz ball. If you don't know what fuzz ball is, it's played with a tennis ball and a cork ball bat. And we played cork ball. And if you don't know what cork ball is, talk to me after the service. I'll tell you about that too. But when it rained, we played this game called toppers. Anybody play toppers? No one. Dang, no one in all three services played toppers. It's a game that you play with baseball cards. And on the back of baseball cards, you'll see averages from the players and you'll also see if their offense or defense, what, they, what their averages are and what their feeling percentage is and what their ERA is. And then you use dice, and you'd roll the dice, and the dice then would tell you if, you if you were on offense or defense, and you would lay the card down anyway. So it was a game that you played. It was like the early edition of fantasy baseball, right? <laughs> it's like the analog version, as like Phil Lubeck would say. But it was a great thing to do, and we just played baseball all the time, and I learned so much. In fact, one of the kids, Dennis Kleesner, taught me how to throw a curveball. And I believe it was that that got me a scholarship in college to play baseball. These guys that just took me in. And the thing that makes it so important for me is the fact that I didn't know anybody in this town. I was a city kid coming out of the rural areas, and they taught me how to go frog gigging and do all this other stuff other than baseball. But they just accepted me into this community. And I had friends, and I just felt a part of the town. It's my hometown. And community is so important. That's why I love this church. Because when we moved here 22 years ago, we knew no one. And this church opened their arms to me and my family and took us in, and we have some of our dearest friends here in this church. And it's just a great place to find community, and that's what we're talking about today is community. And the importance of community. That's what we see in the Gospel of Ruth. That's what we see, the importance of community that God has created here for us. You know, and one last point. We love this movie so much, we actually bought the dog. (laughs) Seriously. That's our dog. 
Same dog from the movie. His name's Yachty, though. It's not the Beast. And, yeah, and actually, that's a cardinal hat he has on his head, just in case you're wondering. And those, like, styling shorts next to him? Yeah, those are mine. So just <laughs> so you want to know. But seriously, community is utmost importance because it gives us a sense of identity, a place to belong, and we all want a place to belong. And that's what we see here in Ruth. We've seen that over the weeks throughout the series. We see a foreigner coming into the land and being welcomed into the land. And so we want to look at this story as we have over the last several weeks and be reminded that there are four main characters in this story. We've looked at Ruth and Naomi, and today we're going to look at Boaz, but we need to be reminded there's one main character in this story, and it's God. It's not Morgan Freeman, it's God. And just so you know, if you're ever taking a test and they ask you about a Bible story, who the main character is, it's always God. He's always the main character. Everybody else is supporting cast. And we've looked at some of that supporting cast. We've looked at this story through the eyes of Naomi, a widow who had been moved into Moab because of a famine. And now she's coming back, but she's brought with her her daughter-in-law, Ruth, a Moabite, not an Israelite, but a Moabite, bringing her back into the community. And then today we're going to be talking about this ruggedly handsome man, Boaz, who is really our picture of what it looks like to live in one of these communities. He's really the poster child for what it means to live in a Hesed community as an Ezer. And so as we look at this story today, there are four things I want to point out that I think we can learn from this story, is that God not only creates these Hesed communities, but he calls people to these Hesed communities. And not just people who have wandered away people that don't know him, foreigners, outsiders, people that don't know who God is. He's calling them into these Hesed communities. And if you're not a Hebrew major and you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks, Hesed is this Hebrew word that means steadfast love, loving kindness, covenant loyalty. When we say Hesed and when you read Hesed in the scriptures or you read helper, helper, that's the word they're talking about and it's often in reference to God because it's he who has taught us how to love. It's he who has loved us first. And so God calls people into these Hesed communities to experience Ezer from one another. There's another one of those Hebrew words, Ezer. It means to help or helper. He calls people into these Hesed communities so that they can receive help and be helped to others. You know, in week one, Mark called it Ezer. Last week, Dave was here and he called it Ezer. And I say, Ezer one is fine with me. How's that? <laughs> Notice what I did there, Tom? Yeah, you got that? Yeah. But God calls us to be Ezer to one another. That's why he calls people into these communities, so they can experience hesed from us. But then he also does that, and we have to realize that when he does, it doesn't just happen by happenstance. Just because we're a church, just because we're a Christian church doesn't mean we're going to be a Hesed community and full of Ezers. It doesn't just happen. It takes some work. But we also know from what Scripture tells us that it gets messy. Right? Whenever you get more than one person together, it, it can get messy. And so we want to learn from this story about what it means to be a community, what God is doing, and how we can partner with him. But understand there's a warning that goes with it that it's going to get messy. 
but God has a plan for that mess as well, as we'll see. So as we turn to the book of Ruth, uh, as I said earlier, we're going to look all over the book of Ruth, and we're going to be introduced to the man Boaz. And Boaz's name, just so you know, is meant to be strong, and really, it really epitomizes Boaz. He's a strong man because, think about it, he stayed during the famine. Elimelech left. Others left because things got too tough. Boaz stayed. He stayed and, and persevered through. And we see now that he's been blessed by that because he has fields, he has crops, and he has workers. And in fact, it says that the town, Bethlehem, he has spoken well of. He's an upstanding man in this community. In fact, his servants, his workers, they bless him. Boaz is our model for what it means to be an Ezer in a Hesed community. And as we start, I want to look back because I think we see him sort of referenced earlier in the text. And maybe you didn't see it, but now that you get to chapter 2 and you start to understand, you see they're kind of talking about Boaz from the very beginning. It says, when Naomi heard in Moab that Lord, the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. She's talking about Moab, right? She heard that there's food. Moab's one of the people that's producing these food, this food. And so God here, I believe, is calling Naomi back to Bethlehem. Because the news has reached Naomi. Just so happens, news reaches Naomi all the way in Moab. And so she's there in Moab. Remember, as we've talked about, she's there. Her husband has died. Her two sons have died. It's just her and her Moabite daughter-in-laws. She has no one to provide for her. And she's got to be thinking, the famine's over in Bethlehem. I've experienced great disaster here. And she says later that she's bitter. But I'm sure she's thinking, you know what? It's better to be bitter in Bethlehem than it is in Moab. And so she packs up and she goes home to the community that she knows that if there's any chance for someone to take care of her, it will be there. It won't, it won't happen in Moab. So God's calling Ruth back, or Naomi back. But he's also calling Ruth back. He's not just calling the one that's wandered, but he's calling a foreigner, an outsider, to come back and experience this community. And as we read in chapter 2, we see that they're back, but they still have nothing. Because Ruth is gleaning in the fields. If you're not familiar with what gleaning is, gleaning is the practice of following harvesters. The workers have been out in the field and they're collecting all the grain and they don't pick up everything. They leave some things behind. And so the poor, they go through the fields and they pick through the stalks and all the chaff that's there to feed themselves. And so you see Ruth out in the field collecting this grain so she can take care of herself and her mother-in-law. And so we know they don't have anything. It goes on to say, and as it was, as it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. He was a relative of Elimelech. Now, I love this line, as it turned out, right? Just so happened, they find themselves in Boaz's field. Not by, not by chance, right? Just so happens. God's called them back to the community, Where do you think he's going to call them back to? Where he's going to be able to provide for them. It's not just a mistake or just chance that they've ended up 
in Boaz's field. I love how the writer writes it. Just so you pay attention. Just so happens they happen to find themselves in Boaz's field. You're here this morning? Not by chance you're here. God's called you here. You think you made the decision. You think you're the ones that got up this morning and said, hey, let's just go there. Or let's go back. You know, we haven't been in like six weeks. Let's go. Who do you think is nudging you to be here today? I don't believe it's just happenstance that you're here this morning. I believe God has called you here. I don't believe if you're here and call Trinity your church home that it's just comfortable. I believe God has called you here. And he's called you here for a purpose. He's called you here so that we can be Ezer to one another. God has created this community, called people to it, so that we can be Ezer, so that we can love and care for one another. That's what Boaz is, right? God called Naomi and Ruth back to Bethlehem so they could meet Boaz, so they could receive help. Boaz is our model for that. Boaz took this seriously. See, what happens is when people experience grief and they experience tragedy in their life, they often turn to someone. And what I've experienced as a pastor is when people experience death, they oftentimes turn to the church. They come, and and I think as they should. But when there's marital difficulties, when there's financial difficulties, when there's addiction, when there's all these other things one of the last places people turn is the church. And you know what? I think it's a valid concern. I think it's a, it's a valid thing. Because you know what? Oftentimes, as we've seen, as you maybe have experienced, you come into a church, and the last people they want to see is you. Right? You get rejected. You, you receive judgment. You receive rejection and finger-pointing. And we say, you know what? you're not really enough like us. This is not a place for you. You need to probably find someplace else. Broken, hurting people seeking help from God, and God's people say, not here. If we're to be a Hesed community of Ezers, that can't be our demeanor. We have to take a lesson from this story and a lesson from God's story that if we're going to be a Hesed community, God's going to bring people to us. He's going to bring people like us, and he's going to bring people different than us. That's why we did the series, Jesus Walked Into a Bar and Them, because God is calling all types of people, all kinds of people, to Hesed communities. And he's saying to those communities, you need to be prepared for those people to come. Boaz understood that. He was prepared. He took God's commands seriously. And we see that in the story just so happens Ruth was in his field. Why was she in his field? Because he took God's commands seriously. It's in Leviticus 19 that we read, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time and pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Think about this for a minute. Boaz had just experienced famine in the land where there was very little. And now there's a harvest. Would it not make common sense that you would reap to the end of the field and gather as much as you could just in case there was another famine? 
that you would build storehouses and bring all this stuff in and get as much as you could so you could take care of yourself and your family? Exactly. But that's not what Boaz did. Boaz was faithful to God. And just coming out of a famine, he followed God's command. And he left room in his field. Had he not left room in his field, it would not have been his field that Ruth was gleaning in because there would have been nothing to glean. But as it is, Boaz made a decision that he would follow God's command because he knew God's command didn't say, in times of plenty, don't reap to the edge of your field. He's saying, no, in all times, don't reap to the edge of your field. And as a Hesed community, we need to take a page out of Boaz's book and understand that we can't live to the end of our resources and expect to be prepared to help those in need. Let me say that again. We can't live to the end of our resources if we expect to help those in need. We need to be prepared prior to the need. We need to make a decision, as Boaz did, that we're going to follow God's commands ahead of time, ahead of the need. Because you know what happens? You reap to the end of your field in your time and your resources and everything else. And then the opportunity presents itself and you're like, oh, I'd like to, but I just don't have anything. I'd love to, but I'm, all my time is used up. I'd love to, but you know, my life, it's hectic. And you're like, dang. Man, I would really like to help, but I can't. I'm sorry. Boaz had that opportunity and we need to take a page out of his book and we need to say, you know what? Let's not reap to the end of our resources. Let's leave some for what God is doing. Let's not reap to the end of the field or beyond the end of our fields. Let's make a decision to live on less than our full income and to save some of that for what God is doing so that when someone comes and needs help, we can help. And instead of saying, dang, I would have loved to, we could say, wow, look at what God has done. Look at what God is doing. To be a Hesed community, we need to understand and first believe that God has created Hesed communities. And this is the purpose for which he's created it. So that we can receive help, but then we turn around and provide help for those that God is calling. We're to be a Hesed community, but we need to make a decision. We need to decide as a people. Will will we be Ezers, like Boaz? Or will we be like the unnamed kinsman who, when given the opportunity to redeem the land, said, I'd love to, but, you know, this woman complicates things, and my life is complicated enough. Or will we be like Boaz, who makes a decision ahead of time to say, you know what, I'm stopping here today. I'm going to leave the rest of that for what God is doing. Because God has really provided all of it not just the last part of it. So we need to be prepared. But I have a question. Why do you think Boaz was so good at this? Why do you think he was so prepared for this? I think we learn from him, and we learn in the text why I think he's good, because Boaz is an upstanding guy. He's faithful. He's a farmer. He's been successful at doing that. But I think there's, a, there's an underlying reason why Boaz is so prepared for this. And I think it's found in the last verses of this text. And we see that in this genealogy. Now, let me give you some 
history here. When you read these names, there's something there. You know, if there's something to be gleaned from this text. Oftentimes it used to be that I would go through like Chronicles, you know, that book where it lists like 10,000 names that you can't pronounce. And you just, okay, yeah, fine, story. And you just skip right over it. And I would say, don't do that. Really, when you start reading it, kind of read through it and sort of do this word hunt and search. Because when you do that, you'll find some things. And maybe some of you already know where I'm headed because you've studied the text. But as you look at this, you see the genealogy of Boaz, and you see who Boaz's dad is. It's Solomon, right? That's what we see here in the text. But what does that mean? Well, to understand that, you have to look elsewhere, because this genealogy appears elsewhere in the text. It appears in Matthew in the genealogy of Jesus. We see that same, those same names listed there, but now we see that Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab was Boaz's mother. Now maybe some of you are going, wait a minute, now that name sounds real familiar. I think I understand who Rahab is. Now I think I'm where you're getting to. And some of you are going, I don't know where you're getting to, so I'm going to keep going. So we're going to go elsewhere. We have to go back in the story. Back before the time of Ruth. right? Back to the time where the children of Israel were being brought into the promised land and Joshua was bringing the children across. And he sent spies into Jericho. He sent two spies in to spy out the land to see what, what was there. And there was word that they were in the land. And so they hid in the house of this woman called Rahab. And she provided them shelter and actually hid them in her house when the king's soldiers came and said, send out those men. Right? And she's like, they're not here. I'm sorry, they just left. You just missed them. If you hurry, you can catch them. And that's what they did. They left. And so then they started to go back to Joshua. And she said, wait a minute. I've done you a kindness. Do me a kindness. When you come in and conquer the land and destroy everything... Please have mercy on me and my family. And so they went back and they told Joshua that this woman Rahab had helped them, that had given them shelter, and they promised that they would, make, they would keep her safe. And so Joshua says, when you go into the land, don't destroy her or anybody in her home. And so her mother and father were there, her brothers and sisters, and everybody that brought to, belonged to her family was there. So now why is that so significant? Because Rahab was a prostitute. Right? You see that one coming? Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family because she hid the men. And it says that Rahab was in the land of Israel until this day. She became a part of the community. She even married a man named Salmon, and they had a child named Boaz. Do you think Boaz grew up in a really great environment? I think he did. But do you think he heard like whispers and points? It's like, you know, what is, what's it like to grow up in a land as the son of a Canaanite prostitute? You think that was easy? I don't think so. But I think his mother probably told him over and over and over again, don't listen to that, because God had favor on us. God protected us. God delivered us. God brought us into this family. God has been a blessing to us, and this community has been a blessing to us. You think Boaz knew that? Maybe that's why Boaz was so prepared to help a foreigner to be graceful to someone because he himself had experienced this hesed love from, from God in this community. He himself had received help because he saw his mother receive help. And I'm sure Boaz made a decision, you know what, I'm going to help others like I've been helped. I believe that's why Boaz was so prepared. He remembered, he understood who he was. And it was by the grace of God that he had crops in his field. It was by the grace of God that he could then provide for others. 
And we need to remember, like Boaz, we were Boaz. We were all foreigners. None of us were born into this family. We were adopted by God. It is nothing that we have done. We were Boaz. And he's calling us to come into this community to care for one another, but also to welcome those God is bringing. And to do that, we need to be prepared, and we need to make decisions ahead of time to be prepared before the need to be a place where people can find help and we can help one another. Now, honestly, there are a lot of places where you can go and be a help to others, where you can go and receive help. But it's in the church, it's in this Hesed community that people encounter their Redeemer. See, Ruth and Naomi just didn't receive help. They met their Redeemer, someone who would then bring them in to the family and provide for them and give them a new reality and a new identity. That's what God has done for each of us. Each of us that call him Father, he's given us a new identity, and we've met the true Redeemer. The one that can redeem the mess, because one of the things we see is that it's messy. It's messy when your mother's a prostitute and from a different land and all these other things in your history come in. It just makes it messier. But the story teaches us that God can redeem the mess. And the children of Israel in this story knew that. They understood. And you see that in the blessing that they give Boaz. In verse 12 in chapter 4 it says, Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this woman, by this young woman Ruth, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, what does that mean? Maybe you understand that story too. But it goes back to the time of Judah. Judah had a son. That son was married to Tamar. That son died. By the Leverite law, he should have offered Tamar another son to marry. But he doesn't. So his daughter Tamar is upset with him. And so what does she do? She tricks him into sleeping with her. And as a result, Perez is born. That's right, Tamar sleeps with her father-in-law. And they're saying, but out of that mess, God blessed the children of Israel. Out of that mess, God blessed our people. Because God can redeem the mess. And they're saying, we're praying that if God can redeem that mess, redeem this mess right here. That he can redeem this relationship with this Moabite woman brought in. God can do great things. That's what Paul says in Romans 8.28, that God works for the good of all those who are called according to his purpose. God works for the good of his people. That's what they knew. That's what we believe. That's what a lot of us have experienced. That out of our mess, regardless of your past, regardless of your present circumstances, regardless of what other people say about you, regardless of what you say about yourself, God can redeem the mess. And you know what happens after Ruth and Boaz? It just gets messier and messier. And then God does bring the true Redeemer into the world. And this story reminds us of the redeeming power of God. That God uses broken, sinful, fallen people to help broken, sinful, 
fallen people. Because it's God that is working. It's God that has created this community and calling people to it. People who have wandered away, people who have no idea that he exists. And he's calling us to be ready to provide love and care for those people. But to do that, we need to be ready. Because it doesn't just happen. We have to make some decisions as a community and as individuals. We need to make decisions to decide not to reap to the end of our fields, but to leave some for what God is doing. We need to take his command seriously. Because God is calling people. People matter. And he's calling us to be a part of that. To make a difference, not only here in this community, but in the world. That's what God's calling every one of us to be a part of. And we're asking every one of you this weekend and throughout this series and for the remainder of our life here on earth to be a part of that. And that's why we're going to continue to challenge. We're going to do that more and more. Because God continues to bring people. And we need to be prepared. Because of what God has already done for us, we must never forget that God is the true Redeemer and the hope for the world. I pray you would join us in that mission. In Jesus' name, amen.